Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. These last few weeks, we've been exploring difficult questions that you, the church members, have asked Kindred to address. Many questions were submitted, but one question in particular just kept coming up again and again, though in different ways. Are non-Christians going to hell, even if they're devout followers of another religion? Is the only way to heaven admitting I'm a sinner and asking Jesus into my heart? How can we say Christianity is the only way when there are so many other beautiful ancient religions in other parts of the world? Behind each of these questions is a history. By and large, this is the idea that the church has presented. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and those who do not openly profess and follow him are damned to an eternity in hell. When I was young, I remember hearing this logic as a clarion call to evangelism. I don't want people to burn in hell, so it's up to you to save them with the good news, right? If you're really worried about the salvation of people who have never heard the gospel, then you get on a boat to the far reaches of the Amazon and you preach to those indigenous people. Don't you want to stand hand in hand before Jesus with all the people whose souls you saved with your proclamation of the gospel? For me now, I hear that line of thinking and it just screams to me, ah, colonialism. I've, I've heard this logic used to argue that Christian Nazis are in heaven, but the millions of Jews they tortured and murdered are in hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. And, and what about, you know, infants? who die before they can confess Christ, or adults with cognitive disabilities who can't possibly make a faith statement. The thoughtful person may start to wonder if we can truly talk about God's great love if this is God's plan. But so many Christians just blindly reply, well, God's ways are higher than our own. Who are we to question? Chances are you've heard John 14, 6 before. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You start to talk about other religions and some Christian just drops this verse like a bomb in the desert. It's become a clobber passage, a verse taken out of context to prove a point. A clobber passage is like a mic drop with the assumption that no further argument can be made. Now, John 14, 6 is often used by Christians to clobber and halt any discussions on salvation 
outside of traditionally orthodox claims that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But how do we take this scripture seriously if we value religious pluralism? After all, there's 10,000 religions in the world. So is the Japanese saying true? Although the paths to the summit may differ, from the top one sees the same moon. And uh, is Lord Krishna of Hinduism correct when he says, whatever path men travel is my path. No matter where they walk it, it leads to me. That sounds really harmonious and uplifting uh, until you start to think about harmful religious practices. Are we going to say David Koresh is on par with Mother Teresa? Is Hindu widow burning, which thankfully is banned now, but is that as meaningful a religious practice as Buddhist almsgiving to the poor? And is it really taking anybody seriously to claim that all religions basically teach the same thing? I mean, it's true that most religions have some form of the golden rule, but the very reason there are so many different religions is because they don't teach the same thing. So I'm going to make a proposal today. Let's see if we can commit to taking the Bible seriously and on its own terms, okay? Let's see if we can unclobber John 14. And we do that by reading the scripture within its larger context. And this is just a little portion of a speech that Jesus gave over four chapters in the Gospel of John, preparing his disciples for his death. So today's full scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Let's listen. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. But Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you all this time, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on account of the works themselves. 
I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, did you notice anything about this text? For starters, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's definitely not dropping any mics. It's not a fortune cookie statement meant to stand on its own to prove a point. It's part of a four-chapter conversation. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. And what's more, he's directly answering a question posed by one of his concerned disciples. And, and guess what? The question is not, hey, uh, Jesus, do people from other religions go to heaven too? No, the disciple Thomas is worried and confused by what Jesus is saying. He's supposed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. Why is he talking about dying and going away? How are they supposed to follow a dead Messiah to victory? So Thomas straight up asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we possibly know the way? So Jesus is directly answering Thomas's question. His answer is not designed to condemn millions of people to hell if they don't believe in him. Jesus' answer is meant to comfort Thomas in his moment of fear and grief. And because the Gospel of John was written for the early Christian community long after Jesus had gone away, this answer is meant to comfort disciples who themselves might be experiencing fear and doubt. If Jesus isn't physically with us anymore, how can we know the way? It's a good question. It's a personal question. It has nothing to do with a concern for other religions. It has everything to do with the concern for myself. These disciples had left everything to commit their lives to this traveling, miracle-working teacher. And up until now, they had just been soaking it all in. What on earth were they supposed to do if he left? How could they follow him if they didn't know the way. But Jesus answered, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. At first, it doesn't seem too helpful. I thought we were talking about like a destination here, a physical address where we could find Jesus. But it looks like Jesus is saying that he himself is the destination. Just moments earlier in this conversation, Jesus said to his disciples, I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. Jesus himself is the destination, and the destination is love. In the same ways that Jesus loved, so we follow that way of love. Eugene Peterson explained it this way. Only when we do the Jesus truth in the Jesus way do we get the Jesus life. 
I love that. Let me say it again for you. Only when we do the Jesus truth in the Jesus way do we get the Jesus life. When we love others the way that Jesus loves, we discover life, abundant life. That life is a real connection with God, the source of love. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's saying, I have shown you the best reflection of God's love. This is how you know that God's love for you is real because of the way I have loved you. This is a core faith claim. It is uniquely Christian to say Jesus Christ is the truest proof that God loves us. It is uniquely Christian to say the best way to love others is to follow the example of Jesus. Nobody else is saying that, but it's something that I hold to very dearly because I have come to experience God's love for me through this faith I have in Christ Jesus. At the cross of Jesus, I see myself most clearly, and that opens my eyes to love others the way that I learned from Him. With the resurrection of Jesus, I see my own potential unlocked as I am able to love others better. But why does Jesus have to use that tricky word, accept? No one comes to the Father except through me. We hear that and immediately think exclusion, right? Everybody's invited to the birthday party except for you. But that word has another meaning as well. We use it all the time. It's also used to make an exception to something that was just said. No one comes to the Father, okay? That much was true throughout the entire biblical narrative. God was so holy, so other, that just accidentally touching the Ark of the Covenant would kill you. Even if you were the high priest and you'd followed the law to a T, the presence of God could still kill you because it was so foreign and powerful. No one comes to the Father. But Jesus makes an exception. Jesus makes a way where there was no way. Jesus unlocks the love of God into the world and makes it possible for mercy and justice to shine into the darkness. Okay, so that's the context of that verse. And I think it's a helpful start to this conversation, but I don't think it can be the end. So this passage is not about sending people from other religions to hell. Jesus is the way that Christians can know and participate in the love of God. But what does that have to do with all the people who aren't Christians? So uh, the Bible makes some pretty universal statements on this matter, but I'm curious how you hear them now. 1 John 2, 2 says, Jesus is God's way of dealing with our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The whole world. Huh. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says, It pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
So God wants all people to be saved. Hmm. And then 1 Timothy 4.10, Our hope is set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Wait, so he's the Savior of all people, especially those who believe? So that implies that he's the Savior of people who don't believe? Huh. Well, of course, now I'm in danger of turning these texts into my own clobber passages. I'm not diving deep into the context with you because we don't want to be here all day. So while I think that 1 Timothy 4.10 is most convincing that Christ's salvation expands to all people, I have to hold that intention with Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where it says salvation can be found in no one else. Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. So I wonder if all of these can be true. I wonder if they're meant to condemn or give life. Well, I mean, Jesus said he is the way. So one way to explore the possibility is to look at the actual example of Jesus in the Gospels. In the Gospel narratives, Jesus has a few interactions with people who didn't share his religious worldview. During his ministry, Jesus spoke with polytheistic Romans, idol-worshipping Syrians and Canaanites, and Samaritans, who were similar to Jews, but were considered to be a different religion. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, right? So surely he would have used those opportunities to convert them from their heathen gods. Well, it turns out he used those opportunities to heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, invite them to tell others about what God had done in their lives, praise them for their great faith, and even proclaim that they would feast in heaven with the prophets. Huh. Notice that in those stories, Jesus did not condemn them, warn them of judgment, argue theology, or ask them to change. That's kind of weird. I mean, he himself is the way and the truth and the life. Shouldn't he have told those pagans? Isn't that what he expects us to do? Maybe the most interesting intersection of Jesus and other religions can be found in Luke 10. A biblical scholar asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question we're talking about here, right? Now here, surely Jesus would say, no one comes to the Father except through me. But instead, we hear this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live, Jesus tells him. But the scholar wanted to justify his question, and so he followed up with, well, who is my neighbor This is where Jesus tells the famous story of the Good Samaritan as an example of someone who is loving God and a loving neighbor. 
not the good Christian, not the good Jew. It's a Samaritan despised for having the wrong beliefs and the wrong religious practices. A Samaritan is demonstrating what it looks like to inherit eternal life. And after he tells the story, Jesus tells us to follow the example of this non-Christian. Go and do likewise. Go live like him. I find it interesting that Jesus seems to respect people of other religions, to find faith in them, to celebrate their virtue. At no point is Jesus writing a blank check or stating anything like, all religions are equally good. But what he is doing is recognizing the common humanity of others, respecting their desire to live a good life and celebrating what is good about them. In his famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this of Christianity, We do know that no man can be saved except through Christ. We do not know that only those who know him can be saved through him. In other words, we cannot with any biblical authority make the claim that someone who does not believe in Jesus is automatically doomed to hell. Now, you and I are here today because we are intrigued by the Jesus way. A lot of us have been burned by the church. A lot of us have really big questions about the ways Christianity has been presented to us in the past. And honestly, I think a lot of us are inclined to assume that the Bible has become irrelevant because it's been used to bring so much harm and division. But... I know uh, what the pastors here and at university are trying to do is help this community reclaim the scripture on its own terms, to open the narrative to include the very marginalized people that Christ spent all of his time with. We really do believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and so we've committed our lives to pursuing that love that we've experienced through him. We believe with the United Methodist Church everywhere that Christ's death and re resurrection really is saving the world. An interesting Methodist belief is that every single person has some spark of God's Holy Spirit living in them. We say that there is no one existing that is entirely apart from the love of God in their lives. So John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, taught that it was possible to discover Christ hidden in everyone you meet. We just need eyes to see. And the truth is, I would love for more people to meet the Jesus that I have met. I find life-giving truth in his words. I find comfort in his presence. I find a greater connection to the world that he so loved that he gave his life for us all. I would love for more people to experience that kind of peace. But if Jesus is the way, and I believe he is, then I want to follow his footsteps. When I meet someone with a different faith than mine, I don't want to approach them as a soul to be one, but as a fully formed human 
to be loved. I want to respect their thoughts, even if they don't line up with my worldview. I want to tell them the truth about what I believe without the expectation of their conversion or their damnation. After all, Jesus gave us a new commandment. It may sound old and familiar, but hear it again as if for the first time. I give you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you also must love each other. This, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the presence of Jesus Christ in our community, in our world. We thank you that there is no living soul who is so far separated from you that the love of Christ isn't beckoning them to experience wholeness and love. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you bring light and truth and mercy and justice into this world, and we want to join you and be a part of that work. And so we pray that you would continue to teach us how to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Give us humility and grace as we interact with people who do not believe the same way that we do. Help us to truly show the world what your love looks like through the way that we love each other. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.